don't worry, be happy. Those are pretty easy words to say and maybe even easy words to sing. Y'all want to hear me sing it? Yeah, some of you that have heard me sing are like, no, yeah, no. All right, well, I won't sing it. But don't worry, be happy. Again, those are easy words to say and sing. But the more we do life, the more we realize that it's really hard to actually live that out, to not worry, be happy. Because we've got plenty of things to worry about. So even as you woke up, your lo- your laundry list of worries just kind of unfurled in front of you. You got to worry about your finances. You got to worry about friendships or kids or you got to worry about work. And so all these things consume us. So we're not worried about being happy. We're trying to get rid of worries. As a matter of fact, Barnes and Noble and Amazon, all those are selling books. Books are flying off the shelf because people every single year, there's a new bestseller about how to be happy and how to find your, your wholeness and being happy and to get rid of all your worries. And so people are buying them hand over fist trying to get there. So don't worry, be happy. We're, we're consumed with worry. Well, this morning, as we continue our series about all of me, about how to love God with all of our being, I want us to to focus in for just a little bit on how we can find emotional health or emotional wellness within our walk with Christ. And so as you think about emotional health and emotional wellness, for us as followers of Jesus, I'm kind of pulling back the curtain a little bit on what it means to be a Christian. I'm pulling this back. And so for us as Christians, the foundation for all of life is our relationship with Jesus Christ. And so that if my finances are a problem, if they're not working out like I want, then one of the first places for us to go is to go back to our spiritual life and begin to get an assessment of where are we at with that and is God here and I'm here. And so when we get things in right perspective there with that God is God and that I am Chris and that he's God and I'm not, and what he wants for my finances, how he wants me to steward the resources he gives me, many times that then aligns my budget and then or a budget, so we have budgets, and so align those things, and when we do that, that then therefore kind of alleviates some stress in our life. And then also when I align my heart and my life with God and that relationship, this relationship here with God, the vertical relationship with God, impacts all of the relationships out here. And so if I'm struggling with relationships in life, again, I come back and say, okay, hey, I'm struggling here, so I need to go back over here and ask the question, where am I at spiritually? And so this, this thing that goes, because all of life is interconnected. We don't, we have a tendency to try to live life in solos or in segments, but all of life is connected. And so as a follower of Jesus, if this here, there's struggles and stuff here, then it's going to impact every single area of my life. One of the things is we're thinking about finances, we've been thinking about physical fitness, and one of the things that I was shared with the early service as I was, um, one of the things that I struggle with for myself consistently, I've told you this before, is that I don't like the fact that I'm overweight, okay? I don't like it. I wish I could do better, and, and as I've, over the years, there have been times that, like, hey, I'm in better fitness than others, and um, I've, one of my theories on physical fitness at one point that didn't work out for me was that, hey, if you're on a treadmill and you see that it kicks 500 calories, then you're good. You can have another bean burrito, okay? And so that kind of balanced out. Well, the problem was is I was eating two bean burritos, and I didn't want to spend enough time on the treadmill to get rid of both of them. And so here we are today, all right? And so as a part of that, one of the things that God's really been working on my heart is whenever I travel around the world to do some of the stuff that God's allowed me to do is here we are in the middle of the, this place, and I'm looking around, 
And the only guys, okay, say middle of Thailand, middle of wherever, and I'm looking around, and the only people that are overweight are the white American pastors. Now, so if I believe that my physical fitness is impacted by my spiritual fitness, then I have some stuff to think through. And so this is one of those things that God and I, this is this tension, okay? And so I go back and forth on all this. And so, again, as we're coming into the new year and we're thinking about how can we experience the fullness of what God has for us to, to love God with all of our heart, our soul, and our mind, what does it look like in this relationship here in our spiritual relationship? How does it impact my finances? Because what God's word said is, is that he wants us to be free from debt, that now that we are, now that we're his children, we don't owe anything to anyone anymore. But if we were to take an assessment here, most of us owe someone something. Alright? And so, but, but in reality is, is that we should be in pursuit of being free of anything that hinders us from fully doing what God wants for us. And so again, looking at that and, and following that, and then with your relationships, if there's brokenness in those, and then following through and saying, God, what, what do you want to do here? And it, with your physical fitness. And so I want you to think through all of that. And this morning, as we think about our emotional health, what does it even mean for us to be emotionally healthy? Because we, in an American culture where our emotional health, our mental health, has seemingly has gone on this track here where we're seeing more depression, we're seeing more abuse, we're seeing more addiction, we're seeing all of these different things. And so which would tell me, as an observer of culture, is that our foundation... Over here, our spiritual foundation is skewed or not being seen in the right perspective. Because if it was in the right perspective, then it would have a positive impact upon all these different things, including our emotional and our mental health. Now, I'm not saying that there aren't some issues, that there needs to be more than, but our spiritual foundation is the beginning process of those things. And even the idea of seeking out help and knowing you can't do it alone. So what's emotional health? It's this idea that we can be reasonably in control of our thoughts and our feelings and our behaviors, okay? So we can be reasonably in control so that whenever change comes, we can cope with change. Because again, the older we live, we realize that life is about change. You're constantly changing, whether it's growth or death or whatever, there's constant change that's happening. And emotionally healthy, we can cope with it, we can deal with it. We continue to move forward. We can also bounce back because, again, as we do life, we find out that there's going to be times where things don't quite go the way that we expected. And God doesn't work on the same agenda and our coworkers and our boss aren't on the same agenda that we are. And so there's going to be moments where we trip and fall and we have to bounce back. You have to get up and keep going. You have to keep playing the game, the ability to bounce back. And this idea of also just feeling good about yourself Again, from the perspective of who you are in God's eyes, and that you also find yourself with 4.1 healthy friendships, right? Now, we discussed last week, all of us should have 4.1. So you pull out your phones and you got 4.1. And we did it at our house, and, and uh, some of us had 4.2. We're overachievers at our place. So friendships are healthy and important because we're going to be doing life, and we need to have people doing life with us. It doesn't mean to be emotionally healthy doesn't mean that you're happy all the time. Well, sometimes if somebody comes and they says, hey, they, they become a Christian and there's this, this idea that life is from this point forward going to be easy and 
Guess what? Tomorrow happens and you realize life isn't easy. You're just now a follower of Jesus. And so now that you have a new perspective and a new hope or you have hope that you didn't have before, you're not going to be happy all the time. But you can become aware, emotionally healthy, but you become aware of what's going on. Now, as I told you, I'm not really keen on or I don't know a whole lot about cars other than put the key in and turn on the engine and it goes and you put gas and you take it to the place and they change the oil. I, I know those things, but I've also learned through the years that there's also these little gauges. Y'all seen those gauges? Sometimes they tell you to, that you're going too fast or too slow. Um, you know what I'm talking about? Okay, you're with me. All right. Okay. So you have gauges, but now as our cars have gotten more advanced, we don't even see some of those gauges. They're actually kind of behind the scenes. And the only time that you see that gauge is when there's actually, it's like a warning light, like something's going on. And so now we get the, the gauge tells us check engine light. And so did you know when that check engine light comes on, that means something is wrong and you should do something about it. Everybody in agreement with that? Okay. So when that first kind of came out, I had a friend that had gotten a new car her husband had gone and they'd gotten her a new car and it was, it was time. They had done that and so they bought their car and she was driving it and she was driving it and I was like, hey, how are you liking it? I love it. I love it. I love it. Well, one day came and she didn't have that car anymore. It was in the shop and the engine had exploded. Okay? It was about a year or so. And I was like, hey, what's wrong? What happened to your car? And she said, you know, this little check engine light came on. And I kept driving it. I kept driving it. And I thought my husband had changed the oil, but he hadn't. And we just had gone in passing. And so, Literally, after a little bit of while, there was no maintenance, and no one checked in on the gauges, and so driving along I-35 in Dallas, and the engine just stopped, seized up and stopped, and just... Now, as funny as that is, because all of us know, hey, check the yellow light, we do life like that, is that there are many times in life where the check engine light comes on, and we know that it's coming on, we can even hear the little ding, ding, ding. You know, when it gets real serious, you can you can hear it. But we do life like that, and we don't stop. And then all of a sudden, the engine of life just craters and falls out. And then we go, God, why would you allow this to happen? And he's like, well, I gave you warning signs. It was happening. The check, the gauges. So this morning, I want you to think about what are some of the areas and what are some of the gauges that you need to check. It's emotional wholeness, that God gives us some gauges to inspect. And so this morning, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 22. It's If you've been around church for a little bit, it's probably a verse that you know or maybe even a verse that you've memorized. And so in this passage in Matthew chapter 22, the, there's right before that the Pharisees and the Sadducees who are the religious teachers, the religious leaders of the day have been questioning Jesus because the religious leaders of the day wanted to catch Jesus and trip him up and trick him so that people could see that he wasn't really all that because the crowds were really gathering and beginning to follow Jesus. And so these guys were, were losing their congregation. They were losing their audience. And so they were trying to trip up Jesus. And so here in Matthew chapter 22, verse 34 and following, we see that the Pharisees and the Sadducees come to ask Jesus some of the tough questions again because they're trying to trip him up. So Matthew chapter 22, verse 34, it says this. If I can find it in my own Bible. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. Now, how many of you have heard that song? I don't want to be a Sadducee. I don't want... Y'all don't know that song? You know why they're Sadducees? Because they're sad, you see. You want to be a Pharisee? No, because they're not fair, you see. Anyway, okay, sorry. ADD moment. 
ADD moment. All right, but you'll never forget that. All right, here we go. So hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees and the Pharisees got together, one of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, rabbi, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Now, one of the interesting things about these Pharisees and these Sadducees is they were experts in the law, and, and they, were, they were continually adding laws to the people so that these people could be better followers of God. And so they would add these different things. And so you couldn't do certain things on the Sabbath or whatever, even to the point of like, hey, listen, if a fly comes in and you're eating Sabbath dinner and you take your fly swatter and swat it, that is against the law. However, if you can catch that fly with your hand and pull off all of the legs and set it down, that is perfectly okay because that is not work. I'm like, I don't. Anyway, so that's the level that they would that they would go. You're like going, what? I mean, literally, that's the kind of stuff that they were adding to, and it's just it's totally ridiculousness. And that's the stuff that Jesus was fighting. Like, why are you focusing on this stuff? You're missing the important thing. The Messiah is walking amongst you, and you're arguing about these things. And so that spirit comes to Jesus and says, "Hey, Jesus, Messiah, anointed one, teacher, rabbi, what is the greatest commandment in the law?" And then he says this in verse 37. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Now, this is the passage. This is part of what they would actually put in the Shema. They would have it on their doorpost, and they would talk about it, and they would pray it. Hey, love the Lord your God with all your soul, with all your heart, with all your mind. So this was on the good Jewish family. This is something they knew. They studied it. They understood it. They knew it in Hebrew. They knew it forward and backward. They knew all this stuff. And so they're like, okay, yeah, 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 we agree with it. And then Jesus follows up and he says, hey, this is the first and greatest commandment. This is the most important thing, the very thing that you should be pursuing always, that you should be pursuing first. This is your First priority. This is the first thing that you get up in the morning. This is the last thing that this is the most important thing in the world. This is the most important gauge. Listen, I've been married for a couple of years now. And in that being married in a couple of years now, there have been a few moments where in the busyness of life, we're easily distracted by the coming and going. There have been a few moments where my beautiful bride has sat down next to me and has said, hey, I miss you. It makes your heart go, oh, pitter-patter, right? She misses you. What she's saying in that moment is, I've learned, because it takes guys a little bit, a little longer to learn this, it's through much interpretation, um, is this, is I need you to pursue me. In the busyness of the day, in the busyness of the schedules, the two going to and fro, that even though we may even be in the same vehicle, that even though we may even be at the same dinner table with our children, that even though we may be hanging out with other people, that there's still a need and a desire from your loved one to be potentially pursued by them. And so in that moment of saying, hey, I miss you, it's not that we haven't even been around each other, even had conversations. It's that intentional pursuit of a loved one. And so this is the idea for us that God has given to us. He's saying, this is your first priority, your first relationship, your first love pursuit is God. And that in pursuing him, so that intentionally setting aside time and intentionally setting an agenda to, God, you are my first love, you are my first pursuit, therefore I will pursue you. 
So how do we do that? How do we practically pursue God? Well, this is the, the first place. This is his love letter to us, right? And so we've got to dig in and set a time to allow ourselves to hear from him and to talk with him and to share things with him. And that's the pursuit. And so that's the first gauge. So if you're Physical health, if your emotional health is something's going on, the gauges are being checked, ask yourself that question is, am I intentionally setting aside a time? Am I pursuing my first love? Because as a follower of Jesus, that's my number one agenda item is to pursue God first. Matter of fact, even my high school football team, we had a shirt. It said, God, team, me. Okay, God is the most important thing. That is the thing that sets the agenda for me and for my heart and for the rest of the day, or it should. And in the busyness of the day, it's extremely easy to get caught up on my agenda and in my purposes and my wants and to lose focus on what is the first love that I should be pursuing. And that God sometimes probably sits down next to us and says, hey, I miss you. You've been to church. You've been to life group. You're giving. But I miss you. I want some one-on-one time. I need some time just with Chris. I need some time with Joe. I need some time with Sally. The longer, let's admit, the longer that we don't do that, the easier it is, or maybe the more difficult it is for our pride to say, hey, I miss you too. And so we, we stay away from that. So the first gauge for us in emotional health is where are we at in our relationship with God? Is he our first Pursued is he our first love? The the next part that Jesus talks about. Not only do we love him with all of our heart, soul, and mind. This is the first thing. In verse thirty nine, he says the second thing is just like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's pretty easy, right? We all love ourselves. Do you love yourself? Sometimes. Sometimes you don't. Sometimes you get to believing. The deceptions, the lies that you're told, and so begin to, to sense, hey, I'm not worthy, I'm not good enough, I'm not whatever the lie is that seeps in to you. And so it impacts us. It, it makes us think about it. And, and even as a pastor, one of the things that I struggle with more than anything else is worthiness of the call, worthiness of the task of presenting God's word, of being what you're supposed to be, whatever that is, the qualifications, whatever the worthiness, all those different things. That is the struggle that not only myself, but others that I talk to, this thing here is the most difficult thing, not because it's not necessarily a skill or a talent, but it's a heart thing of the deceiver continually all throughout week saying, Chris, you're going to present this truth. Do you even know it? Do you even believe it? Do you even understand it? Are you worthy to be the one to present these truths on God's behalf? And there are those times where it becomes so difficult and the deception and the deceiver is working overtime in me. And he digs deep. And I have this one thing that he says that I don't, I don't grasp where it even comes from. I don't even know what it's about, but as a, as a young child, I don't have very many childhood memories, but as a young child, I do remember my mom and dad and I, and we were in, we were poor at the time, and, um, and being poor, and so we were in a, um, I think we even rented, you know, from whatever they tell me, that we were renting a, um, trailer. It was kind of a rundown trailer and all that. 
And so this is not to say anything about those that situation, but this is just what in me kind of just stirs up some stuff, okay, my own stuff. And so whenever the deceiver talks deep to me and wants to get down into me, he says, listen, pastor, you're not only not qualified, you're nothing but trailer park white trash. And I don't even know what that means, but I know in here. Because listen, I live in a trailer now. But the, the deception that the deceiver will go to to make you feel unqualified. Because how many times have you sat across from someone and the truth giver, the God the Father, is speaking truth to you and saying, that person across from you needs to hear your story. They need to hear how God has transformed you. They need to hear how you are a child of God. They need to hear this. But the deceiver speaks the other words to you, and you're like, yeah, but, but God, I'm this, but God, I'm this, but God, I'm this. And God's saying, no, you're not that. You are my child. You are a unique being. I don't make junk. I don't, you don't, there's not a clearance sale on my children. You've been bought and redeemed. You don't deserve seconds. You deserve the best and the first. And, and so this whole thing that goes on and so the truths and the only way that we can overcome the deception and the deceiver is through getting the truth here. Because also one of the other things that I've learned is that information doesn't equal transformation. Because if it did, then every student that graduated would go off and have an unlimited world because they've given all kinds of information. But information doesn't equal transformation. But truth that marinates the soul and takes root changes us. And so as we sit in the presence of our first pursuit, and he speaks truths to us, as we crawl up into his lap and he whispers the truths of who he is and who we are in light of what he's done for us and that our identity is not about us, but our identity is now in him. We're a child of the king. We're heirs of the king. We have all of his stuff. This is ours. But we even don't even ask many times because we don't believe that we're worthy of even asking. So to accept ourselves as who God sees us then allows us to care for others. Because as we become adults and we grow, we realize that we are even more amazed by the grace that God bestows upon us. That's why I love the song Amazing Grace, because the further I grow and even the deeper I grow in my walk with Christ, I understand the fullness of the dirtiness and the stankiness and the clothes and what I didn't have to offer him. And he still received me and accepted me as I am. And that's the beauty of that. So accept yourself as God sees you. It's the beginning point of our, another part of our emotional wellness. Wellness. I've been reading a book recently called The Road Back to You. And about you, but I, I, one of the things I love to study and to think about in leadership is personalities and how you deal with and talk with different people and what motivates different people. And so early on in the, Personality test, they used to do phrenology. Y'all know what a phrenologist is? Awesome, great. That's someone that would love working with somebody like me who doesn't have hair, and they would kind of massage your scalp, 
And as they massage your scalp, whatever knot and nodules and all this different stuff will tell them what kind of person you were. So they're massaging Pastor Chris's head, and they're like, hey, he's crazy. That's awesome. Okay? And so they would, they would make that. And so that was the determination because of all this different stuff. So you can imagine some of these guys, you know, missing part of their skull or whatever, and they're going, hey, you've got this or that. And so we've moved beyond that to some of you in your jobs or career or college or whatever, you've had to take the Myers-Briggs personality test. And so you know if you're introvert, an extrovert, an intuitive, a thinker, a judger, a feeler, all those different perception, all those different things. And so some of you are even here going, hey, what, what, what am I? And all that stuff. And so you've got all that going on. And so there's a, one that's a personality kind of study called the Enneagram, which is hundreds of years old. And there's nine different personalities. And so there's a, a perfectionist, a, a um, performer. There's all these different ones. And so one of the things that they talk about is that all of us personality types, all of us are in these different personalities, is that we have, when we're healthy, we're X, but when we're under stress, we act like this. And so it's kind of an interesting study for a guy who's, you know, walks around people and thinks about how can you care for people. And you can go, even in the office, even at home, I've been going, oh man, you're a performer as a number three. Now under stress, you're going to be doing this. And so the my wife and kids are like, would you just hush for a little bit and uh, quit diagnosing us, Dr. Little? And um, But here's one of the quotes from there. This is Christian aspect of this. And so here's one of the quotes. It says this, to know oneself is to know what one lacks. So in other words, an honest evaluation of yourself, you realize, hey, I can do this well, or this is who I am, but here's some areas of weakness. And all of us have some strengths and weaknesses. It is to measure oneself against truth. In other words, that as we measure ourselves against this, we recognize that we don't always meet the standard, right? And as you grow in self-knowledge, the more we study God's word and spend time in his truth, the more you'll become aware of your need for God's grace. We're amazed by it. And then because of the amazement that we have of God's grace for us, as we begin to see who we are and accept ourselves in light of God's grace for us, we can then have more compassion for ourselves, but also for other people. Because if you haven't arrived, then the neighbor next to you hasn't arrived either. So that if you can love yourself in light of how God loves you, then you can love your neighbor. Because the same way that God loves you, he loves your neighbor. So you can accept yourself and how he loves you, and then you can accept others and love them. That is what Jesus is saying. He says, love your neighbor as you love yourself, so that when you come in right perspective with the fact that God is God and he's pursued you in spite of you, he's also pursuing your neighbor in spite of them. And so the foot of the cross is equal ground. None of us have earned it. None of us have paid for it. None of us. And so this this beauty of our emotional health, and caring for and loving our neighbors. Check the gauges of the car. Where are you at? Accept others. Romans 15, verse 7 says it this way. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you. How did Christ accept you? There's an old hymn, just as I am. Just as I is, he accepted you just where you were. He will accept you just where you are. So how should we accept each other just as you are? 
Because there's no perfect people allowed, right? So we're all on a journey. And listen, the reason you know someone else is messed up (laughs) is because you're messed up. The reason you know they got some crazy because you've seen that on crazy in your own mirror. The reason that you see stuff in other people most of the time is because you got it. And maybe you've gone a victory in it, but you still got it. And you have a scar from it. So quit comparing scars. Quit comparing injuries and just accept people from where they are and know that we're on the journey of life together to knowing God and moving forward together in that relationship. Pursue that. In First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16 and 18, it's one of my favorite verses. It says this. This kind of helps you deal with some stuff. In First Thessalonians chapter 5, it says, Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And this, the beauty of this passage in First Thessalonians 5, 16 or 18, is that this rejoicing always isn't a suggestion, but it's a commandment. That it's actually a requirement. It's an expected attitude for followers of Jesus. Rejoice always. Why? Because our foundation is in Jesus. Our circumstances may change, but we can always have joy. Pray always. Again, a command, not a, a suggestion, but to pray always. Why? Because our, we, God understands our heart affection is when we're praying, we're in a heart affection and communication with Him. We're easily distracted. So if we're in pursuit of conversation with Him, then it's a lot more difficult to be distracted. And then to give thanks, to have a spirit of gratitude, a spirit of contentment, a spirit of satisfaction with what God has, because God is sufficient. And so if he's sufficient, then we can give thanks in, and literally in the location of, all of our circumstances. Now we know that as adults and as life, there's going to be some circumstances that we don't want to give thanks for, But because God is God and he's in those situations with us and in those circumstances with us as his children, we can give thanks in them because of who he is. And he's not going to leave us or forsake us. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so in those circumstances, even the most dire, the darkest of circumstances, as his children, he resides with us and is holding our hands in it and through it. And again, those are not just suggestions, but those are commands of the attitude to rejoice always, pray continually, and to give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for his children. For us, what does it look like to pursue emotional helmet, wellness and health? Let's get our priorities. Pursuit of our first love. So that as we pursue that, the interconnectedness of our relational health, our financial health, our physical health, our emotional health, all of those things are moving within one another, but all of them are on the foundation of where are we at with God the Father? Where are we at with Him? This morning I pray that if you're struggling with something and you're saying, hey, Chris, that my my stuff is more than this little message that can be wrapped up in 30 minutes and have a little bow on it and feel like we can package it up and walk out nice and neat. I just challenge you, hey, we, we have a counseling services here, and we'd love for you to be a part of that. There's all of us, whether we feel like we're healthy or unhealthy emotionally, all of us need someone to talk about things of life. And so 
Counseling Center here, Grace Bound and Carly, does a wonderful job of doing that. So be a, think about it. If that's something you need or whatever, be a part of it. All right? Let's pray together. Dear Lord, we thank you that you receive us just as we are. That Christ accepted us where we were at. We didn't have to earn anything. We didn't have to do anything. We didn't have to say the right words. We just had to receive the gift of your son. Father, upon that foundation, the rest of our life balances. So, Father, I pray this morning that we would just intentionally focus our hearts upon you. There are those in this room that have said yes to Jesus and would say that they are followers of Jesus, that they are children of the Father. So, Lord, may we realign our hearts and may we do an honest assessment of our love relationship with you. Father, if someone in this place could not honestly say that that's where they're at, that maybe today's that day that they would say that, that I need Jesus. Father, I pray that as we do an honest assessment of our emotional health, Lord, may we just ask, are we purposely seeking you? Do we rightly see ourselves as you see us, as children of the King? And forego all the lies and deception that we hear? For, Father, our, our desire is, is that others would experience what we've experienced, that we would be able to to give them a glimpse of what it means to love someone by the way that you've loved us. Father, we passionately want people to know you because we've experienced you. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen.